Revelation chapter 1. All right, my mic's turned up. This is good. We're, we're ready now. <laughs> Revelation 1. Um, I, I cannot imagine what it is like to be the Apostle John at the start of this vision. Um, you have to remember something. Uh, the last time he saw Jesus, Jesus had been risen from the dead. Okay? He saw him go up into heaven. He and a bunch of other followers looking up, watching him ascend into the clouds. And they're standing there waiting for him to come back. Like they honestly thought he was running to heaven real quick and coming right back. They're, they're standing there. They're waiting for him. Like, 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 almost like, almost like the person who runs out of the car to unlock the door so that you can start bringing groceries in. <laughs> like he's going to come right back. And he doesn't come. And these two angels show up, and they're like, what you doing? We're waiting for Jesus. Why? He'll come when he comes. You get to work. Hold on. God's going to give you power, and then you're going to do what you're going to do. But don't stand up here looking for him, because he ain't coming back this way. He's he's coming back a little bit different. You got a little bit of time. Last time he saw Jesus, he's ascending into the clouds, He's getting fainter and fainter and fainter until finally he disappears and he's completely out of sight. That's the last time he saw Jesus. And then here we are in Revelation chapter 1 and he sees Jesus again. This time he looks quite different. Look look with me in Revelation 1.9. You know what? Let's stand. Let's stand together. Um, Revelation 1 verses 9 through 20. We'll read this the rest of this chapter And then we'll talk about what it says. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not I am the first and the last and the living one I died and behold I'm alive forever and I have the keys of death and Hades Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Father, as we catch a glimpse of your Son through this passage, I pray that we once again reminded of your glory in that. May the concerns and cares of our lives melt away. May the accolades and the sources of pride 
fall down and worship before you. May we be captivated by the sight of your son. Amen. You have a seat. He sees the son. This is a, a passage that is... I want us to take our time in seeing the image. I want you to see I don't want you to hear it and, and that be it. I don't want it to divorce from your experience. I want you to take the time to see this. Picture this in your mind's eye. That's how John is writing this. He wants you to see it. He wants you to be able to imagine it in your mind. So as you're reading this book, this whole book, but especially in passages like this, get a glimpse of what it is. Slow down. Put the picture in your head. Imagine what he's seen. Let yourself see it. Because, well, if you don't see it, it's kind of hard to hear what someone else has seen. Have you ever tried to um, listen to someone describe something and you, you haven't experienced it? What's it like to go to an Alabama football game or an Auburn football game? What's it, what's, what, what is that car doing that's messed up? or whatever it might happen to be, something that someone has experienced that you haven't experienced, and they're not very descriptive. Well, I don't know. I don't know what it looked like. I, I, I don't know. It's just a whole bunch of people. I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of red, a lot of orange. I mean, I mean, there's stuff going on all over, but I don't know. Like, what do you... Or, uh, in the case of a car, I, I don't know. It looked like it was kind of, I don't know. It was just like, it was like making a noise. Well, what kind of noise? Oh, bad noise. <laughs> well, did it sound like clunking? Did it sound like banging? Did it sound like, you know, what did it sound like? I don't know. It, it, no, it wasn't any of that. Was it high or low? I don't know. Did it change at all? I don't know. It's just making a noise. Doesn't really help, does it? Picture these things. In. Grab a hold of these details. Because what John is telling you isn't just in the words that he's saying, it's in the picture that he's drawing with those words. He says, I, John, your brother and partner. This is kind of interesting. This isn't someone who's divorced. This isn't someone who is, is completely separated from the situation. This isn't someone who is aloof, who's far away, who isn't really dealing with these things. This is someone who's in the thick of it. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus. There's kind of a, there's kind of a triple motif that goes on. Uh, uh, three things that go together. Jesus is described in the last, in the last few verses uh, of this chapter, or in the beginning of this chapter, the last few verses that we talked about last time. He's described as the one who was and who is and who is to come. There's a three right? It just kind of goes all together. And they all kind of give you this picture of who he is. All three of them working together, combining together to give you a more complete view. John is kind of doing that with himself. He's saying, I'm your brother and your partner in these three things, in the tribulation. I know the trouble you're having to go through. I'm your partner. I'm by you. I'm with you on this. I know what you're going through. The tribulation that you face the, the, the circumstances of being persecuted for your faith in some places. And in other places, that persecution is a little bit, a little bit, uh, less, less overt and a little bit more hidden. Maybe it's persecution in ways like, well, we just don't kind of talk to him. We don't give him a deal because he has those, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of crazy. All, all that Jesus talk. Let's just deal with this other guy that doesn't talk like that. Maybe it was covert. Maybe it was, eh, you know, 
Hey, how you doing? How you doing? I'm sorry, I got stuff to do. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> you know, kind of avoiding them as much as possible. Maybe it was kind of like that. Maybe the tribulation was more direct. What are you talking about this Jesus? You need to get out of here with that kind of stuff. You're, man, you're causing nothing but problems around here. And you, one day, one day you're going to have to face it. One day you're going to have to you're going to have to deal with it. You're 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 going to be face to face with Roman guards and you're going to have to deny Jesus or or suffer. Maybe maybe some of these churches, in fact I know some of these churches were enduring direct uh deadly persecution. Deny Jesus or die. You say Caesar is Lord or you're a goner. I think back to Columbine, girl with a gun pointed to her head. You believe in Jesus. I've never faced like that. One time, when I was in high school, this is my this is my persecution moment. It's lame. Guy said, You're a Christian? I said, Yes. He said, You suck. So I said it too. Like, okay, thanks. I'm persecuted. All right. I joined the rank. Yeah. Put me on voice of the martyrs. No. No, that that's the worst I've faced. It really is. I haven't faced anything. Some people are facing a lot worse. Some people are facing torture or death because of what they claim about Jesus. And John says, I'm right there with you. I'm your partner in tribulation. I'm going through some of the same stuff you're going through. In fact, at the second part of this verse, he says, I was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I've been through it too. Pull up that map, uh, Daryl. Um, this is a map that, um, well, that doesn't help. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I, I put this in. I, I, I saved it and I ran with it and I didn't even I didn't even go back to look to make sure that the map was the right size and it's not the right size. This is Asia Minor, so I'm I'm gonna do the the whole weatherman kind of thing here. Um, this is Asia Minor. All of this. There's Patmos just off the coast of Asia Minor. Do you know what else was in Patmos? A bunch of other prisoners. It was a prison island. Same thing they did with Australia. They did on Patmos. The Romans did. They sent a whole bunch of prisoners to that island. They said, you're a prisoner. We don't want you around anybody else. Let's send you to this island. It's a, well, that's just the way you do prison in those days. You send them away. John is on Patmos. And the island of Patmos is home to hardened criminals. It's a pretty rough brood. Uh, it's also home to one of the apostles of Jesus who is facing persecution because of Jesus. And he's there, off the coast. Um, if this was a better map, I could show you where the seven churches are. But that line, those lines there are some of the major trade routes. All the seven churches are along those trade routes. So, so they're all pretty easy to get to. But no, that's okay. I'll get it bigger next time because we'll start looking at the churches and I'll, I'll give you a better view of the churches next time. Um, John is in prison because he's enduring the persecution. He's a partner in the tribulation. When, when in the Revelation, you're, you're going to see later on that it's going to talk about a time of tribulation, a seven-year period. We'll get to that when we get to that. This is more general. This is persecution. This is generally the world fighting against the church. By the way, that does not prevail against the church. That's the good news. Uh, but bad news is we still got to fight anyway. Um, so he's a partner in tribulation. He's a partner in the kingdom. Here's the strange thing. 
through persecution, we end up exercising the kingdom. It's this already not yet thing of God's kingdom has already come to earth, but yet we're still praying for God's kingdom to come to earth. Because it kind of is, but it kind of isn't yet. When Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching them, this is how you live in God's kingdom. You want to know what it's like to live in the kingdom of God? Let me tell you what it's like. Blessed are, for they shall. He gives these beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the pure at heart. All these different things. These are the types of characteristics that you will exhibit as citizens of the kingdom of God, but you'll exhibit them here on earth. You don't wait until one day in glory when you finally become become, uh, meek. And eventually you'll be meek and then you can inherit the earth. No, he's saying be meek now. Blessed are those who are meek, not those who will be meek. Blessed are those who today are doing the work of the kingdom. Bringing the kingdom to pass today. But yet it's also a not yet because as we know, though God is on his throne in heaven, we sure are running amok around here, aren't we? Human beings just, this isn't God's kingdom the way that he will one day rule it. He's sitting back. He's being patient. He's giving opportunities for repentance. But one day, he's going to take control. And I really won't mind the government having total control when God is the government. Now, I don't want a government that's God. I want a God that's government. But the fact of the matter is, we're partners in that. John says, we're, we're partnered together in that. I'm with you in bringing the kingdom to pass. I'm with you in the already not yet kingdom of God that's, that we are helping to institute on the earth, that we are through our lives and through our righteousness bringing about. We stand 2,000 years almost after the death of Christ. A testament, a living testament to the work that they started. Their faithful endurance followed by other generations who faithfully endured. Sometimes we screwed it up, royally screwed it up. Other times we got it a lot better and we were doing a lot better. But the church has remained over these couple of thousand years because God is not done with her. God is still bringing about His kingdom and He's using the church. And one day, one day the purpose of the church will be fulfilled. But until that day, we are still partners together working for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have, we are combined in tribulation, partnering together. We are combined in kingdom, partnering together. We are combined in the patient endurance. You see, you can't have any of these without the other. You can't have the kingdom and the endurance without the tribulation. How do you endure if there's nothing to endure? You can't have the tribulation and the kingdom without the patient endurance. How do you get to the kingdom from tribulation without endurance? How do you stick it out? How do you persevere? How do you keep going until the job is done? God says, you're not going to have the kingdom until you have the tribulation and the endurance. All of these things work together. All of these things combine together so that G.K. Beale puts it this way. Faithful endurance through tribulation is the means by which one reigns in the present with Jesus. Right now, today, if you want to live out the calling of God upon the church, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
A people set apart for His glory. And the way we do that is by patiently enduring through tribulation. Never giving up. God's given us a mission to do and we're partners together. John says, I'm right there with you. I'm your brother. I'm your partner. Let's do this. You and me together. We got this. Now, does that mean that it's just our strength? No, it's His strength. But it's us doing work. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on Lord's day. I have yet to see a scripture that says I was out of the spirit of the Lord and then something great happened. Something godly happened. Something wonderful happened. Do do you notice? They were in the spirit on the day of Pentecost. Of course, they weren't when they started. And And then God's spirit showed up and it just dramatically changed everything, didn't it? By the end of the day, thousands believed. You see the church in the spirit taking care of one another's needs and, and daily they're adding to their number. That Daily, daily, not weekly. This is not a case where on Sunday they met and 150 people walked up. This was a case where on Monday they were seeing professions of faith. Tuesday they were seeing professions of faith. Wednesday they were seeing professions of faith. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, I have not had a ton of experience in ministry, but I've noticed that More people seem to get saved away from church, like not in the worship service, than in the worship service. Have y'all seen that? You know how many times, and maybe maybe this is just uh, uh, me me dealing with really good pastors or something. It seems like things happen during the week and then they get celebrated on Sunday. That's That's a vibrant church. That's a church in which the Spirit of the Lord is moving. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of, not because I want all the excitement, so much as I want all the Spirit. I want God's Spirit to so overwhelm us that daily we're adding to the number of faith. That daily we're seeing people grow. We're seeing lives change. We're seeing God impact this community on a daily basis. Wouldn't that be amazing? It can. He's in the Spirit on the Lord saying, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. He names them all. I want you what you I want you to write down and I want you to send it to all of these churches. This is the basis of the book. This is why John is writing the book. The book is him writing down what he sees and sending it to these churches. Some of them are in persecution. Some of them have life easy. They're relaxed. Nothing big is really going on. Some of them are having problems, internal conflict and strife. They're in different places, all kinds of different scenarios going on. They're all... They all need to hear this word. They all need to see what John's saying. And I have a feeling that if we're honest with ourselves, we need to see it too. So what does he see? Then I turned. See the voice that was speaking to me. What did he see? And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. If you remember our study in Exodus, this is probably something we didn't very, very, we probably flew by this. But in our study in Exodus, if you read in Exodus 35, you'll see the instructions for the temple. God instructs for there to be some lampstands. These lampstands have different portions across. Think modern. Think of a modern day menorah, but instead of nine candles, nine places for candles, there would be seven. And instead of like just having candles, they would have these little little cups where you would pour oil in, and you would light those. 
I did a little bit of math on this. If each one of those little spots, there would be 66 on one of these lampstands. There would be three on each of the branches and then four in the middle. And, and the way it would work out would be 66 total. If, if each of those was as bright as a candle, just a typical candle, you're probably talking about one lampstand being a little bit less than a 60-watt light bulb. It ain't very bright. He sees seven of them. Seven 60-watt light bulbs. Now, I guess today, 13-watt light bulbs if you're going with the LED or whatever. So you've got these light bulbs that aren't producing a ton of light at all. There's enough to light up a room. Probably about eh, close to the light that's in here right now without the sun coming. Okay? He sees these seven lampstands and they're putting out this light. I think he's actually in the temple. I think he's actually seeing in the temple and there's the seven lampstands that are in the temple. He doesn't say that, but I, I think that where else are you going to find seven golden lampstands? So he sees these lampstands and in the middle of the lampstands, verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Verse 14, the hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Do you see it? Do you see this man with this, this pure white hair and these burning eyes? Not like those red evil eyes you see in movies, but, but eyes that are so bright that they seem to burn. Do you see him? His feet were like burnished bronze, radiant with the light that, that's coming off of him. You'll see that in a second. Refined in a furnace in his voice. Oh, his voice. What does his voice sound like? He says it sounds like a trumpet. But then he corrects himself and he says his voice was like the roar of many waters. Ezekiel describes the glory of the Lord in Ezekiel 43 coming into the temple and says that the glory of the Lord sounded like the rush of many waters as it came across. And the light was shining across the land, illuminating everything. And then there's, and then there's his right hand as if this wasn't enough. He's holding seven stars. Now, I don't know if you know this. They name, they, they identify colors based on the temperature of the color. In other words, the star burns so hot that it produces a certain color. Reddish colors are uh, not as hot. Blue-ish colors are much hotter. Our sun is about 6,400 degrees Kelvin. Um, that's really, really hot. <laughs> Think about it. It's enough 93 million miles away to heat our earth to be really, really hot in the summertime. You think of how hot it is outside. Think of how hot it is millions of degrees on the surface of the sun because it's producing so much heat. And Jesus holds them in his hand like it's nothing. And from his mouth, came a sharp two-edged sword. I don't know many people who eat sword. I don't know that many folks, but um, I'd imagine that would be pretty hard to pull off, this double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun shining in full. You know what that tells me? Those stamp stands were nothing compared to the glory that's emanating from him. Do you see Jesus? 
this isn't, this isn't the kill of all peaceful and calm and well-groomed bees. Come to me. And a nice tenor voice that's not too deep because it'd be, or too high or it'd be funny. This guy that's like, come on and come sit on my lap and let me smile real big. He can be that. But he's also a God that holds stars in his hand whose feet are bronze, hair to snow, and whose face shines like the sun. You can't make a nimby-pamby out of this. Jesus. great for that. And I'm going to tell you something. That's the kind of Jesus I want to worship. He's a great warrior. That's I'm glad he's a great warrior. His time for warriorship will come. His time to go to war and defeat me will come. He's a kind, gentle human who takes the children in his arms. That's great. I'm glad he is. I'm glad he lets the little children come to me. Wish I'd quit acting so childish and just more childlike, but I'm glad he accepts the children. This is a Jesus. This is a Jesus that we need to see, y'all. This is the kind of Jesus that's the real Jesus, not, not the historical Jesus that people used to project on whatever they wanted him to be, not the, not the Jesus that simply does your bidding, not the Jesus who is fashioned after your image, the Jesus that looks more like Daniel 7. As I looked, thrones were placed in the Ancient of Days, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels burning with fire. Then down in verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples Nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's the kind of Jesus that we need to worship because that's the real Jesus. He's not the namby-pamby, watered-down version that so many people want Him to be that treads carefully and doesn't upset anybody's feelings. He's the kind of Jesus that's Lord and He lets you know it. What's funny is he doesn't have to tell John who he is. Just the sight of him causes this to happen. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. What else do you see that kind of Jesus? There's nothing to do but to fall down. That word fall, we have an English word, prostrate. Lying down. Arms extended, face down to the ground. It's also used of something else in Scripture. John knows just from the sight that this one is worthy of worship. That's the only thing you can do when you see Jesus. That's why at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. That's why when we behold him coming on the clouds, every eye sees him, everyone worships. We talked about that last time. Back in verse 7. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see. Even those who pierced him in all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That's the kind of Jesus that we... At least, that's the kind of Jesus that I worship. 
Is that the Jesus that you worship? Verse 18. Oh, verse 17. Into verse 17. He lies down. He's flat on his face. Like he's, he's scared stiff. You've been scared stiff. Like you can't move. Like you're paralyzed in fear. Then it says, but he laid his right hand on me. He said, fear not. I am the first and last. Maybe if more of us saw this as the kind of God who paralyzes us with fear of judgment, but then he puts his hand on us and says, don't be afraid. Maybe if we saw both of those, the terrible majesty as Elihu put of God. Maybe then people want to follow our Jesus. When you try to dim him down, or try to make him more pure than what he really is, you take away the reason that he should. If he's God, he can't be saved. There's a passage in the Chronicles of Men, Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe where Lucy asks Mr. Beaver, he sounds dreadful. Is he safe? Talking about Aslan, the lion. <laughs> Mr. Beaver says, have you been listening to me? Of course he's not safe. God is not safe, but is good. This is the Jesus we need. Not a Jesus who's been sanitized. You need to see the real thing. Because trust me, you don't want to worship anything less than the real one. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forever, forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hate. What a great promise. <laughs> I love it. He's got control. He's like, I have the keys. Cool. Don't worry about it. I got the keys. I'll walk up. Write, therefore, the things you've seen. In light of who I am, write what I'm about. Write what I have shown you. Write what I'm about to show you. Those that are and those that are, take place after this. You write this down. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're probably wondering about the stars and the lampstand. And it funny? It's just, oh yeah, yeah, I almost forgot. It's the afterthought. The stars? They're the angels of the seven churches. The word angel means messenger. This could be one who um, served in a capacity, in kind of in a pastoral sort of role, in the teaching, delivering of the word kind of a role. I think that's probably a good way to understand this. There's a messenger. There's someone that God has sent to that church for teachers. The, the stars are those messengers. They're the ones that are lighting the way. They're the ones that are showing you, that are orienting you. How do you orient yourself in the ancient world? You look at the stars. You're out on the sea. You don't know where you're going. You look up at the stars. It's daytime. What do you do? You look at the one massive star in the sky, the only one you can see, the sun, and you orient yourself to that. You know that the sun's coming up over there. That must be east. Yes, I know that's not really east, okay? But you see my point. You orient yourself based on the stars. You find your way based on the stars. And so here are these messengers, these angels, who are giving the word of God to the churches, and Jesus says, I've got them in my hand. I'm directing them, I'm guiding, I'm putting them in their place, and I'm providing them as a way for the church to know which way to go. And the seven lampstands, those are the seven churches, meant to give light. Now, 
Are the churches impressive? No, they're 60-watt light bulbs. But you get enough of us together. There's a map that the IMB put out. I wish I had thought of this, put it in there, really, really tiny. Um, There's a map that the IMB puts out, the world status of evangelism. What they do is they put a light spot. It's a dark world, so it's, it's black to start with. And then they put a light spot where there are like a thousand Christians. It's a little spot of light that shows you where Christianity is. And you can see us as the light of the world. You look around Alabama, it's pretty bright. You look in Tanzania, it's not... Different places in the world where you see Christians. It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder that we're the lampstand, church. Our job is to give out light. With this kind of Jesus, we can be imperfect, but we can still have plenty of light to give. I want us to catch a vision of the Son of Man because I want us not who we want him to be, pretend he is, not who we've been told he is. I want because I know that without that, the church is toast. But with that, maybe we can upgrade to 75 watts. Without Christ, we're burnt out. With Christ, as imperfect as we are and as many problems as we have, difficult as it is, we still shine the light. And God still uses us. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see him good enough that you start looking like him. I want to see him long enough, clear enough, that I burn a little bit brighter until the day the fullness of outshines the sun. Our world needs Jesus. Father, I pray we would light up our world. God, don't make us like, um, don't make us like 15 watt bulbs. Don't make us like the little, the little uh, candelabra style bulb, small, and you got to put a whole bunch of them together to see much of anything. Don't make us like bulbs that are only on 10% dim. What you find in a funeral home. I was in there with the family. I, I just noticed how dark it was because the light's being turned down so low. I don't want to be that. We're called to shine with the radiance of your glory. And Lord, I know we will never perfectly shine your light, but I do know that we can shine it brighter than we have. I do know that we can shine it brighter than, than before, that we can keep shining it and keep shining it and keep shining it in tribulation, in endurance, and seeing your kingdom brought forth. Father, I pray that we would not we would not be teeny tiny lights that don't put out much. I pray that we'd more like those spotlights on waste cars that blind your eyes because they're so bright. Those giant lights that they put on the front of trucks that light like a mile ahead of the truck. Those lights that are so bright that you see them from untold distances away, other galaxies. But we can't do that if we don't see you. So God, help us see Jesus. Because the light of the world, the light of the world is the one we're reflecting. The light of the world is the one that we're protecting.
Father, help us be good at that. Help us shine bright. In the day when your glory not only fills the temple, but fills the earth. All right, y'all. We hope to see you Wednesday at the nursing home and then uh, Saturday. Starting to regret this. Um, I still got to get. I still got to get the clown suit. I told some of y'all this. One size fits all does not fit all. So I've got to get a clown suit that fits. But I'm going to have it, and I'll preach in a clown suit. We're going to talk about. By the way, just um, we're going to talk about loving family. What the proverbs say about dealing with family and. So this this message coming up this Sunday should be a lot different from this morning. Uh, this morning, I know I brought it kind of hard. I really feel like we need to. Sometimes we need to be truth, and so I pray that I pray that God's using it to deal with you. He certainly dealt with me. <laughs> he smacked me between the eyes this week, ready, so. And even with tonight, I just it's my prayer that we see Jesus and that we look like Him. If I can do anything, you let me know. But we'll see you again soon.